This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Well, good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center, Man Cave. Inside the Melbourne Law Studio, 352-325-3938 on the sideline messaging system if you need me and on Facebook chat. And uh, we are on Friday, Friday, Friday. Thank goodness and Greyhound. It's Friday again. We're rolling right through the month of March. <clears throat> and uh, spring is right around the corner, believe it or not. Well, I guess you can believe it. I mean, here in north central Florida and God's country in the piney woods here, uh, we seem to have cleared the pollen assault and got it washed away with then a rain assault, initially perhaps brought on, I don't know, rumor has it, by the naked rain dance. And then, of course, we have merged now with uh, everything beginning to grow. And before long, I guess it'll be love bugs next and who knows what else. But um, morning, everybody. I, I'm as confused as you are, as I've mentioned before, about uh, Eastern Standard Time and Eastern Daylight Time. And I ran across this little lighthearted thing I'd like to start with. So since so much of the news is so uh, serious and heavy and all that business. But uh, uh, evidently, the the Senate has actually decided to um, permanently, at least they've got this moving through the process, uh, make Eastern Daylight Time um, the norm and keep it that way all the time. And yet, wouldn't you know that would, you know, not get through Congress without somebody disagreeing. And uh, there's those who believe no, no, no we need to make it permanently Eastern Standard Time. Now, you know, I, I guess they're trying to get me more confused than I am already, but I'll take either one as long as they stick with it. Now, sleep experts have gotten in on this and um, they, they, they disagree on one key point. They, they agree on the other point, and that is that you need to quit jerking us around with these twice yearly seasonal time changes. Uh, as I said, I just wake up like Rip Van Winkle from a nod and find out, you know, I could have slept like the groundhog maybe a little longer. And then all of a sudden it's reversed. Uh, I can tell what the seasons are here. Uh, my good buddy John Martin has nicknamed it. Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it now that he is. But anyway, um, it, it's where we can judge the seasons by the sun moving along the tree line, uh, which is what I do. And I can tell you right now that the sun is due east of me and it's right in the middle of the tree line. So I can tell you that we're about to get to spring. And before it's over, the sun will be far to my left up the tree line. Of course, the sun hadn't moved. And um, uh, there we are. And then it'll move back down clear to the right. And I don't know what month we're in. I don't need a clock. I don't need a calendar. Uh, and it comes up. Now, how do we get into this whole adjustment of time situation? Um, it is um, <laughs> spring starts at 11:33 Sunday morning. Plantation Mark says, and he's a natural man. He's out in the natural world with gardens and all that, so he keeps his 
uh, kind of, I used to get all my information off the farmer's almanac for crying out loud. And um, so anyway, uh, the Senate has voted unanimously to make daylight saving time permanently. And wouldn't you know that the um, American Academy of Sleep Medicine, I guess there's something for everybody, issued a statement cautioning, this is according to the Washington Post, which has put this out, uh, that the move overlooks potential health risks associated with that time system. I don't know what isn't a potential health risk. I mean, I have come to believe that walking across the street in Gainesville certainly is. And, and I don't know what else could be. Everything is getting up in the morning, I guess, is for some problematic. So this legislation, if it zips through the congressional procedure, will take effect next year. It's got to get through the House. And of course, Sleepy Joe has got to sign it. And Sleepy Joe himself may not know what time it is and what season it is. But anyway, uh, there is some kind of agreement that we need to stop jerking ourselves around because it disrupts the circadian ribbon, rhythm. And that rhythm uh, has been associated. Now here, get this here. The circadian rhythm, which is tied to whenever the light hits your pupils, I guess, is associated with increased risk of obesity. Now, how do they get to that? Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Is that, I mean, I see so many overweight people um, that I, I don't know if it's got anything to do with when the sun peaks over the tree line. Um, they say it has metabolic syndrome attached to it, whatever that is, cardiovascular disease, whatever that is. And depression, I, I kind of go along with that one. I could see how a complete darkness all the time will get us down in the dumps. And some people get adjusted to that. And um, there are places where it is dark quite a bit, pretty late and all that business. So uh, I don't know what to tell you. I thought I'd ask you all. Um, now they're also, as in everything else that gets debated and discussed in Congress and it gets politicized, some experts are calling for even more research. You know, how many years of research does it take? Um, uh, you know, experts, I, I'm always wondering about that phrase, experts call for, uh, and the experts are never cited, and yet the documentation is not there. Uh, experts have called for more research before deciding on a permanent time. Are you kidding me? I mean, uh, um, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um, uh, the other, uh, more organizations have piled in on this. There's a National Safety Council, whatever in the world that is, I don't know. And of course, the National Parent Teacher Association. Uh, I suppose they've got a dog in a hunt because the ki little kitty has to go out and wait for the bus in the dark or the light. I don't get it. Either way, something's going to give. And But there is a nationwide push. Uh, one thing that comes through in this movement, if you will, is there's a nationwide push to make the time consistent and make it permanent and decide on what it's going to be. But right now, it seems it will be daylight saving time. And what that means, it'll be dark longer in the morning. So the little kitties will be waiting in the dark for the bus or whatever it is they wait on, if they wait at all, if they go to school at all. And then there'll be more sun in the evening, I guess, to sit on your porch and taper off and, and think about what you did or didn't get done during the day. So... Uh, there's all this, plus the climate change freaks have, have piled in on this uh, and have talked about energy saving benefits and it promotes public safety. 
uh, and therefore will lead to a decrease in crime. I, you know, this is an amazing chain of logic that comes out of this conversation about what time it is. And, and um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. I mean, I, I suppose it matters. I used to get around the world quite nicely without a watch. I didn't need a watch, you know, and then all of a sudden now we got a watch and I don't have one, by the way, that does everything. I guess you talk on it. it it's, it's been, it's Dick Tracy come true. When I was a kid, I used to read the comics constantly. I was fascinated with the comics. And I used to draw my own cartoons and I used to read Dick Tracy and he had a watch that he could talk into. Well, we didn't have such a thing. We just only had it in the cartoons. Now we've got these watches that do everything, tell you everything about yourself, whether you want to know or not, know where you are. It's that one another. So it's not just a watch. And how does that factor into it? I mean, the, the, um, the conversation is really kind of interesting and zany to watch and watch. Well, I didn't even realize I'd do that pun. Uh, and one, some are saying no more dark afternoons in the winter. Uh, no more losing an hour of sleep every spring. Um, want more sunshine during our most productive waking hours. Uh, that's a weird kind of, do we have productive waking hours anymore with Zoom and people getting 600 bucks a month from the gov government and, uh, for, you know, all, you know, and the government printing money and uh, us trying to nudge over to socialism where the government going to take care of us from cradle to grave. Um, and now they're all talking about uh, how daylight saving time really doesn't save any light at all. Uh, it actually steals it from the morning. Now, that is interesting because that's when it's necessary to maintain our healthy biological rhythms. So have you ever heard of such daylight saving? I think this is one of those sentences that needs to go on the wall uh, if you so do that. Uh, daylight saving time doesn't save anything at all, any light at all. It simply steals it from the morning. I, I think that's, I wish I'd come up with that with myself, my own self. Um, but the, um, and here's the other complaint. that the chronic effects of permanent daylight saving time have not been well studied. Well, how long does it take? How long does it take? And, you know, we've got to do more research. And we found, according to some of these research guys, that the body clock, the body clock, I've always heard about the body clock. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know where that came from, but the body clock does not adjust to daylight saving time even after several months. Well, now I'm gonna chime in. I kind of agree with that because after several months, I've just adjusted to daylight saving time and whoop, they whiplashed me around back to Eastern Standard Time and I'm whiplashed again. So I think there is something I can blame on the government for my behavior. And it is nothing more than them messing with the time all the time, which all the time, boy, I like that one too. And that mis disrupts my body clock and my circadian rhythms. Wow. This is, and of course, there's an environmental clock that is ticking somewhere, that's uh, ticking off to the end of the world. I don't know if that would need to be adjusted uh, when, all, when climate change really does us all in. Uh, but we're down now to how this affects the cells of the heart, the cells of the liver, never mind the 
uh, you know, extra drink of two uh, at uh, happy hour uh, in the afternoon. I wonder how that's going to affect all that. And uh, so we got sleep medicine doctors involved in all this, uh, talking about using such terms as synchronization with our internal clocks. And, um, you know, we don't sleep well. Not, you know, it's, it, I'm just fascinated by it. Um, and the, 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 the later dawn during daylight saving time deprives our biological clock. Hey, we got a body clock. I'm, so far, I'm counting up the clocks. We got a body clock. We got a biological clock. I know we got clocks in the in, in the command center because I had to go around and change them all, uh, except for those which are computerized, and they change themselves, which is a great big mystery. Um, and there's all sorts of discussions about how this affects cognition and mood. So I guess if your partner in life is a lousy mood, uh, you can write it off to not to his or her personality or character, but to the body clock being off. Uh, by the time adjustments, which the government government controls, um, you know, I I I I just, I just thought it was really interesting that I think it it uh, affects us all. Some you don't, you got a body clock, don't you? And um, and so well, let's see what happens. The thing I'm for and all that. Let's have some more debate, and let's have some more research, and let's see if we can string this thing out for another couple of years. And find out what in the world is going on with the uh, circadian rhythms. I guess I'm saying the word right. I didn't check myself before I came in uh, uh, to the studio here today in the man uh, command center. But um, there you are. I mean, it is what it is. And if you feel bad, it's not you. It's your body clock. And if your body clock is off, it's not your fault. It's the government's fault for tinkering with the sun and earth and the moon and all the above. Meanwhile, I sit on the back porch, which faces east right over the tree line and it ain't got nothing to do with the government. So there you are. I, I tell you one thing, if the light bothers you, pull the blinds. I don't, I don't know what else to say, my friends, but I thought, you know, in this nasty world of so many things are going on right now, we need to add that to the pile of stuff we got to be concerned about. It's, it makes sense to me. I mean, why wouldn't it? Um, uh, and Michael Lucas worried about where all the hard evidence is. I don't know where the hard evidence is. Uh, you know, I've heard of those terms too. Hard sleep, light sleep. I don't know. It's, um, it's way above my pay grade. So, so there you are. It is uh, another thing that Senate is talking about. Wow, isn't that something? Well, I got to switch gears here a little bit and brag on our local investigator instigator. Uh, we've got a video here that we're going to show you in a moment. Uh, you know that we've been working, and I can't use the F word. I have to say voter beep because the little millennials are waiting for that word to be said, and they take us off the air and say that we violated community standards and we questioned the, the national narrative and all this stuff. So I can just tell you uh, that there is such a thing as voter beep and uh, let you all say, as Michael asked a moment ago, where's the evidence? We're going to give you the evidence in just a moment. You know, we have ferreted out a lot of uh, illegal uh, casting of the ballots here. And let me just refresh you on how, it's, how it went. Um, a super sleuth, our friend, who has a rare appearance, public appearance in this video you're getting ready to see, um, on, on his own investigative powers and curiosities, 
found what we've been reporting to you for quite some time. And we think it has ultimately led to help lead to the government's election, uh, the governor's election committee bill, which is going to be signed into law here soon. And uh, we think we had a lot to do with that. But uh, uh, when we first found all these transgressions, of course, we did the sensible thing and uh, we went to the state attorney. Well, the state attorney didn't want to touch it. Uh, he did want to touch it. It ironic. He did want to get involved with this thing with uh, Riles and, and, and Drotos and Bossar. Boy, he wanted to get involved with that. Uh, you know, and that's going to turn out. You wait and see how that turns out. And, and so here's something he didn't want to get involved with. So he kicks it over uh, to the sheriff. Uh, and the sheriff does the smart thing and kicks it over to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And the Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigates it thoroughly and brings back to the state attorney uh, some eight or nine that need to be charged. And the state attorney just drops them down a hole and ain't got no bottom. We ain't heard another word from him. And, um, you know, that's made him get on my bad side. He's going to probably stay there the rest of his term. And, uh, and you know, cause I, I can't see how he can get off my bad side. He's already laid the plans down for it. And But here we're going to show you here that there is a supervisor of elections. Now, the irony of this is uh, the supervisor of elections here, Kim Barton, has never gotten involved, never gotten involved publicly, never made a statement publicly. OK, you're going to see the supervisor of elections uh, in Lake County come out and make a statement. And you're going to see a very thorough treatment of this by their television station there, which we are borrowing and showing to you what they did. And I have to tell you that this superintendent of elections in Lake County in the beginning was very uh, reluctant to get involved in this. And by golly, you see, once the evidence came across his desk, he got totally involved. Now that, I'm just gonna tell you, that hasn't happened in Alachua County. I doubt it will happen in Alachua County. There is this weird sense of justice and um, criminal. I don't know. It's strange here. Um, I, I don't get it. And I think I know why. I just don't want to talk about it because I don't can't really nail it with documentation. But I think it's probably uh, well, I just won't go there yet. But there's a lot of ifs and question marks about relationships. You've heard us allude to them. And some of this is no doubt going to come out when a uh, little squeaky clean, who's not so quick, squeaky clean, I'll bet you, um, is going to have to be deposed. That's one Ken Cornell. So um, let's get ready. Uh, let me get a high sign from uh, my production crew here. And you ready? OK, we're going to uh, we're going to run it at least once. We may run it twice. And uh, you will see it's pretty interesting. Uh, is it OK? To, let's go with it, Evan, please. Some convicted sex offenders should never have been allowed to register, much less vote, yet they did. And as Channel 9 investigative reporter Christopher Heath explains, the state is now investigating what went wrong.
In January, hey, I don't care what you want. We went to the home address of Bobby Douglas Diaglia, a registered sex offender. Bobby wasn't home, and the man who greeted us in the driveway didn't want to talk, at least about where Bobby was or if he had voted in 2020. But Bobby wasn't the only name on our list. Five other registered sex offenders in Lake County either registered and tried to vote or registered and voted, although it's unclear if any of their votes actually counted. Well, I've been uh, searching uh, for voter fraud for probably close to eight years now. In November, Mark Glazer tipped us off about sex offenders voting in the 2020 election. By comparing the final voter roll to the state's public database of sex offenders, Mark sent us dozens of names to look into. Uh, Registered sex offenders and sexual predators in the state of Florida who've been convicted in the state of Florida um, are not eligible to vote. We know for a fact that this happened. Yes. Lake County Supervisor of Elections Alan Hayes points out while the number of convicted sex offenders who voted is statistically insignificant, it does raise the question of how this was allowed to happen and what can be done to make sure it doesn't happen again. This is a statewide problem. It's it's like so many other complex situations where um, one part is not independent. They All the parts are inter- interlocked. The complexity is the problem. Courts must notify the state when a sex offender's been convicted. That notification then needs to be sent from Tallahassee down to the individual supervisors of elections. But that clearly did not happen. So how many sex offenders voted or tried to vote in 2020? Right now, the state attorney in Lake County is investigating at least six cases. We asked the Florida Department of State, which oversees elections, how many more could be out there and what it is doing to correct this problem. The Department of State, which reports to the governor, did not answer. The law needs to be followed to the letter of the law, and we're going to make every effort that we need to. All right, welcome back live here. Professor Ward Scott here in the Ward Hall. Manly men come in, center of man cave inside the Mellon Law Studio. Uh, uh, you saw it. There it is. And I tell you, there's a long story behind that. Um, we actually notified... Um, this supervisor, much later in the game than we notified our own supervisor, who's yet to make any public statement. Of course, our local television station has not gone out and done a job like this television station done. And, um, um, you know, it was very, very, very thorough. Went knocked on a sex offender's door. And and that's pretty that's pretty good treatment. We don't have that ability evidently here with Channel 20. I don't know why. And we, we gave all the information to. Uh, they've had it for a long time. Um, you know, as I say, Kramer, is who is a Republican, ironically, so is this guy here, the supervisor Republican. This Republican state attorney sat on his hands about this. Um, I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand this guy. But, but here you are with a Lake County guy who, as I say, was very, very reluctant to begin with and didn't believe it and didn't think. He does say he does try to cover his basis and say it's statistically insignificant. Uh, that's it depends on what race it is. OK, if they're if they're voting in a local race, it's much more statistically significant. Plus, I can tell you this, that this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're just a we know we, we don't have a big and we by the way, I thank all of you who donate to help us do this sort of investigation stuff. This is a really very valuable that you support us. You know, there's a lot of people who are who are really they don't want to come out and, you know, associate with these type of things because they maybe have to sell a cup of coffee to one of these people like Martin or somebody. So they're afraid to go. She'll go next door and get the coffee somewhere else. 
but you who donate, um, help us fight these battles, help us push through this red tape to uh, get these guys to at least admit what they were very reluctant to admit. This supervisor didn't want to get involved with this, made him look bad. Uh, why didn't you know this? Why do we have to do this? This is the age old answer that's coming out of this. As you see that um, uh, Mark is, is referred to as a concerned citizen. Why do the concerned citizens have to do it? Uh, and why does bureaucracy keep sweeping it under the rug? Why does the little millennials keep uh, taking you off the air if you even talk about it? Uh, what is going on? They talk about Russia and all that stuff. Well, I ain't got to look far to see Russia. I mean, I ain't got to look far at all. And, you know, look out your window. And I'm not talking about Palin, who said she could look out her kitchen window and see Russia across the Bering Straits. I'm talking about the, the government around here and the way these bureaucrats behave. So, you know, I'm just saying that there's much more to this and, and we're able to show you right now. But this is really interesting. We've also had a, a tremendous coverage of this uh, as a, in the paper, which I, I shared with you uh, not too long ago uh, with um, a, a little um, a community up near the Alabama border that uh, discovered this was going on in their, in their bailiwick and jumped right on it and, and covered it enormously well. We haven't had it covered at all. I'm just looking through my papers here. We haven't had it covered at all in the Gainesville Sunset. You don't see, you don't, it's not, Gainesville Sunset's not a balanced forum. I mean, you know, hey, if somebody wants to refute what I just showed you, come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll enter, you know. I mean, I like to joke and I like to put on business cards and things like that, that this show is not for liberals. Well, it is, of course it is, but, you know, liberals don't have much to say that they can defend. I mean, they won't even debate us on single member districts. We've set that up. We've offered to set that up. Uh, Tim Martin has offered to debate Ken Cornell. Can't even get an answer from Ken Cornell. I'd run the thing here on the show. I'd run the debate live on the show. Cornell won't answer. He'll run his mouth out there publicly, but but he won't he won't he won't answer. He won't debate. He'll just make these statements to the self-serving media. So let's run this one more time, please, and let people just tuning in uh, take a look at it. It's uh, and then we'll, after we come out of it, we'll take a break and we'll do some. We've got a couple other videos today that are very interesting. So uh, hang with us. We'll run it. Is that okay? Let's fire it up, uh, production. ...of convicted felons were allowed to vote for the first time in the 2020 election. However, non-investigates discovered that some convicted sex offenders should never have been allowed to register, much less vote, yet they did. And as Channel 9 investigative reporter Christopher Heath explains, the state is now investigating what went wrong. In January, hey, I don't care what you want. We went to the home address of Bobby Douglas Diaglia, a registered sex offender. Bobby wasn't home, and the man who greeted us in the driveway didn't want to talk, at least about where Bobby was or if he had voted in 2020. But Bobby wasn't the only name on our list. Five other registered sex offenders in Lake County either registered and tried to vote or registered and voted, although it's unclear if any of their votes actually counted. Well, I've been uh, searching uh, for voter fraud for probably close to eight years now. In November, Mark Glazer tipped us off about sex offenders voting in the 2020 election. By comparing the final voter roll to the state's public database of sex offenders, Mark sent us dozens of names to look into. Uh, reg registered sex offenders and sexual predators in the state of Florida who've been convicted in the state of Florida um, are not eligible to vote. We know for a fact that this happened. Yes. 
Lake County Supervisor of Elections Alan Hayes points out while the number of convicted sex offenders who voted is statistically insignificant, it does raise the question of how this was allowed to happen and what can be done to make sure it doesn't happen again. This is a statewide problem. It's, it's like so many other complex situations where um, one part is not independent. They All the parts are inter interlocked. The complexity is the problem. Courts must notify the state when a sex offender has been convicted. That notification then needs to be sent from Tallahassee down to the individual supervisors of elections. But that clearly did not happen. So how many sex offenders voted or tried to vote in 2020? Right now, the state attorney in Lake County is investigating at least six cases. We asked the Florida Department of State, which oversees elections, how many more could be out there and what it is doing to correct this problem. The Department of State, which reports to the governor, did not answer. The law needs to be followed to the letter of the law, and we're going to make every effort that we need to, uh, to do just that. Christopher Heath, Channel 9. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Uh, hope you enjoyed seeing that. It's very interesting that we have that type of coverage in a, uh, a whole other part of the state, and we can't get that kind of coverage here. Did that tell you anything? I mean, really, it should. Before I take a break, I want to give a shout out to a great commissioner at the city of Alachua who's watching right now, who I think was the best commissioner we had. And I would have gladly helped make him mayor if he wanted to stay. Um, just a really fine man, Robert Wilford, who was there for a couple, about uh, over a decade and uh, as um, one of the better and stronger commissioners in these municipal governments around here. A quiet soul, but a firm, tough guy who was always on the right side of the issues, I think generally, and uh, really enjoyed uh, knowing him. And I hope to have him on the show sometime. We've talked about it. He's now retired and moved over to the coast and well-deserved. Um, are going to be having a race for his seat. And I'm going to be interviewing uh, at least one of the candidates and soon. And it's upon us real closely in the city of Lodge, I think, right? And uh, about two or three more weeks will be the election. And um, so we want to bring out a little uh, 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 awareness of that here, even though you have to live within the city limits of Alachua, the city of Alachua to vote for this commissioner. And so it's an open seat because Commissioner Robert Wilford has retired and um, and, and, you know, and going to take a deserved uh, kind of wind down and look, look at the ocean quite a bit. So I wanted to give him a, a shout out and say thanks for being a, uh, a, a great friend and a great supporter of the show and, and um, uh, you know, a great commissioner here in the city of Alachua. Let's take a break just for a moment here on the Ward Scott Files, and we'll thank our sponsors and our and our donors who um, really, for the most part, remain anonymous, and we keep it that way. So we're right back on the Ward Scott Files in one, I don't know, minute or two. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284. 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
if your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octon, octon. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Mach schnell! That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, no. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here, the Warthog in the command center, the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Mellon Law Studio, inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, and uh, where the truth is beaming out of here constantly, and you may uh, pick it up on your receivers and uh, assimilate it as you will. You may debate it. You may reject it. You may deny it, you may accept it, or some formulation of that. It's your business here, students. So um, we are uh, entering a little phase of our conversations with you that we're going to have to have. Uh, COVID's trying to keep uh, creep its head back into the conversation. I'm not going there quite yet. Uh, but we do have to go over to the Ukraine situation because it is what it is. I mean, it is very much uh, one of those defining moments in history. Um, and, um, you know, I've lived through several of these defining moments. I can tell you, uh, of course, I, I, I wasn't around for the Pearl Harbor, um, but not shortly thereafter, my, you know, I was on my way to being around. And of course, uh, that from my father's generation and probably America's too was uh, forever a defining moment. It changed, certainly changed my parents' lives. Another defining moment, of course, which I was not around for. Uh, which my mother and father experienced was a depression. And um, also, I used to hear my father talk about the flu epidemic, pandemic, or whatever in, the, in, in those days. So there was, there was clearly an event somewhat like COVID uh, for my parents' generation uh, that was the flu. And a lot of people died in the flu. So these defining moments, so we, they come along. And so we have in my parents' generation, uh, we have... Uh, well, one, the, the, the flu, then the uh, depression, oh, that's post-world, called the Great War. They hadn't numbered them yet. And the problem with numbering them is that you, after all, if you've got a one, you have, we teach this in composition. If you have a one, you have to have a two. And if you have a two, you have to have a three. So I don't know, we set in motion our own hypnotic trance moving towards a three. Already you see World War Three propping up in our language. And I don't think that's a good thing. But that's the way the human mind works. If there's a one, there has to be a two. And if there's a two, there has to be a three. So I don't know if that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's not very healthy, I don't expect, for where we are right now. So we have, the, of course, Pearl Harbor. Then we have uh, the Korean War, which was really a shock, as I remember it. Uh, remember the first thing I started drawing uh, for cartoons was after, you know, I had my little Dick Tracy deal. I got into drawing uh, a war cartoons. And uh, I was fascinated with the, F, I think it was called F-86. I know it was a saber jet. It was one of the first big dogfight wars conducted with jets. I think it was the F-86 saber. And I was fascinated. I could draw those. And I had all these things. And I had a whole series of, of, of cartoon strips that I'd created uh, about war. 
And that was maybe I was about eight or nine years old. So um, and, and drawing was one of the first things that kind of interested me, along with language, poetry and things like that. So um, then things kind of lagged along, dragged along. And we got what is called a war, but it really never was a war in terms of for the guys there. Of course, it was. But for uh, the historians and the politicians, it was always just a conflict. And we really haven't used the term war uh, up until now. Uh, everything else has been some kind of engagement or, uh, you know, they've got a number of euphemisms. But we're really using that word now for this Ukraine situation. And and um, uh, and, and then even trying to predict and create a three, which is to say, call it a World War Three. Um of course, the whole danger of that, which I've always heard about from the, my friends who are in the nuclear subs, uh, would be that uh, one nuclear sub alone carries enough nuclear warheads to uh, induce uh, what's called nuclear winter. And nuclear winter would be a, a change. You're talking about climate change. That would be a climate change event in photo, photosynthesis. And the change in photosynthesis uh, due to the uh, accumulation of all the activity in the atmosphere from this nuclear uh, uh, cataclysmic uh, explosions would uh, affect the crops and affect uh, uh, actual growing of things, which in turn we have to have to, to live, which we eat. So uh, in extreme, it could block out the sun. I've heard all, we've studied all these things. We know uh, what the possibilities are of this. So, you know, we got a crazy kind of guy uh, at the helm of the country, but in a way, He's just another character who we've got these characters here stateside. We've got these these people who uh, want to rewrite history and uh, give the land back to the people who never had it in the first place. This kind of thing. This is, as I said, alluding to drama and Shakespeare, nothing new. I mean, this is this is border dispute stuff and uh, dominant um, by one people over another. Nothing new. It's been around. It looks like as if we're doomed to have it forever. So. There is a character uh, in, in our lives, and, and I expect most of you know who he is, as that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, who I first you know, heard about him, of course, in um, Stay Hungry. He became a movie star. It was written by a guy named Gaines, who wrote, us, wrote the book, as I remember it, I'm doing this from memory again. And Gaines was the first one to write a book about pumping iron. And then that became a movie, and, and of course, Arnold was in the movie. Uh, when I was into the pump and iron big time, I uh, went out to California to work out at the California gyms. And one of the places I went to was the original Gold's Gym. And of course, I had read or knew of all the great superstars of that world, bodybuilding world. And a lot of them were in the gym there with me when I was working out. I talked to quite a few of them. Pete Grimkowski was Mr. World, uh, was there, um, you know, a lot of these guys. But uh, I was never in the gym when Arnold Schwarzenegger came in. But I asked the other guys what it was like when Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the gym. And he says, oh, man, he's, he's the biggest ego in here. He's the most oppressive character in here. Uh, he'll go around and criticize you and find some body part and ride you and belittle you about it. And it's all a mind game with him. But he is a force to reckon with. Uh, he is uh, 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 Franco Colombo was his training partner. I did meet Frank, Franco Colombo. And, uh, and 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 but I didn't never met Arnold. He had either just left the gym when I was there, or he was getting ready to come in, and I'd left. 
So, but I heard all about him. He was like the, uh, uh, you know, a whale swimming through the harbor. All the water, you know, really moved when he came through. And of course, you know him. He became the California uh, governor. He's, um, um, you know, he's one of those guys that just is. Uh, he's a Republican, but he's from Austria, and he has still a heavy German accent. But uh, he has made a video, which is out on Twitter. We're going to break it into a couple of parts because it's about nine minutes long. But uh, the production and I were talking about this during the break. And you, we'll, we'll probably run four or five minutes of it. And he's making a plea to the Russian people directly uh, to come to their senses and not participate in Putin's madness. So uh, let's run the first four or five minutes of it, please, production. And then I'll come out and I'm going to talk about the switchblade drone. And after we come out of that, we're going to talk about Hunter's laptop, which is scandalous. And uh, that'll probably complete our show today. But anyway, let's run a little bit of Arnold pleading with the Russian people. Hello, everybody. And thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm sending this message through various different channels to reach my dear Russian friends and the Russian soldiers serving in Ukraine. I'm speaking to you today because there are things that are going on in the world that have been kept from you. Terrible things that you should know about. But before I talk about the harsh realities, let me just tell you about the Russian who became my hero. In 1961, when I was 14 years old, a very good friend of mine invited me to come to Vienna and to watch the World Weightlifting Championships. I was in the audience when Yuri Petrovich Vlasov won the World Championship title becoming the first human being to lift 200 kilograms over his head. And somehow a friend of mine got me backstage. All of a sudden there I was, a 14-year-old boy, standing in front of the strongest man in the world. I couldn't believe it. He reached out to shake my hand. <laughs> I mean, I still had a boy's hand. He had this powerful man's hand that swallowed mine. But he was kind and he smiled at me. I will never forget that day. Never. I went home and I put his photo above my bed to inspire me when I started lifting weights. My father told me to take down that picture and to find a German or Austrian hero. He got really angry and we argued back and forth. He didn't like Russians because of his experience in the Second World War. You see, he was injured at Leningrad that the Nazi army that he was part of did vicious harm to the great city and to its brave people. But I did not take the photograph down, no, because it didn't matter to me what flag Yuri Flasov carried. My connections to Russia didn't stop there, by the way. Oh, it actually deepened when I traveled there with bodybuilding and for my movies and met all my Russian fans. And on one of those trips, I remember, I met Yuri Flasov once again. It was in Moscow during the filming of Red Heat, which was the first American movie allowed to film in Red Square. Now, he and I spent the whole day together. He was so thoughtful, so kind, and so smart, and, of course, very giving. He gave me this beautiful blue coffee cup, and ever since then, I've been drinking my coffee out of every morning. <laughs> now, the reason why I'm telling you all of those things is that ever since I was 14 years old, I've had nothing but affections and respect for the people of Russia. The strength and the heart of the Russian people have always inspired me. And that is why I hope that you will let me tell you the truth 
about the war in Ukraine and what is happening there. No one likes to hear something critical of the government, I understand that. But, as a long-time friend of the Russian people, I hope that you will hear what I have to say. And may I remind you that I speak with the same heartfelt concern as I spoke to the American people when there was an attempted insurrection on January 6th last year, when a wild crowd was storming the US Capitol, trying to overthrow our government. You see, there are moments like this that are so wrong, and then we have to speak up. And it's exactly the same with your government. I know that your government has told you that this is a war to denazify Ukraine. <laughs> denazify Ukraine? This is not true. Ukraine is a country with a Jewish president, a Jewish president, I might add, whose father's three brothers were all murdered by the Nazis. You see, Ukraine did not start this war. Neither did nationalists or Nazis. Those in power in the Kremlin started this war. This is not the Russian people's war. No. As a matter of fact, let me tell you, what you should know is that 141 nations at the UN voted that Russia was the aggressor and called for it to remove its troops immediately. Only four countries in the entire world voted with Russia. That is a fact. See, the world has turned against Russia because of its actions in Ukraine. Whole city blocks have been flattened by Russian artillery and bombs, including a children's hospital and a modernity hospital. Three million Ukrainian refugees, mainly women, children and elderly, fled their country. And many more are trying to seek to get out. It is a humanitarian crisis. Because of its brutality, Russia is now isolated from the society of nations. You're also not being told the truth about the consequences of this war. All right, welcome back to Word Scott Files. We're going to pause there for a moment. It is riveting in a way, and probably we'll run this. We're about halfway through it. We'll probably break it up and run the other half here in a minute. But uh, I want to interject at how uh, we have become more and more militaristically, uh, militarily involved here. And the thing in it, kind of piqued my interest is something called the switchblade drone. And um, Biden has uh, uh, put a bunch of these switchblade drones, 100 of them, into this battle. And, uh, you know, being um, a, a target range guy and a sort of, you know, interested in, you know, all the things that uh, some of us are interested in, in terms of weapons and, and um, rifles and um, pistols and those sort of things, the switchblade drone kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, this is being, and this thing would be absolutely frightening. I'm trying to imagine us being chased by a switchblade drone because I want to tell you that, in case you don't think about it, it is a, it is a small and precise weapon that's packed with explosives that can, it's really a kamikaze drone is what it is. And it can be uh, small, it's unmanned, unlike the kamikazes, which had an actual human in them. They're launched from a tube and they're capable of inflicting significant damage. They have blade-like wings that emerge when the device is launched. Now, it can be launched by a, a man carrying a, an apparatus that launches it, uh, much like uh, you uh, would uh, uh, see when we have uh, grenade launchers and other things of that nature. Um, they uh, are cheaper than most U.S. drones. They come in two sizes. The Aero uh, environment uh, is the manufacturer. The Switchblade 300 model weighs about five pounds. 
flies up to 15 minutes at a time and is designed to be carried in a backpack, assisting small infantry unit trucks. I'm reading this from an article in the New York Times about it, uh, tracking the Russians' movements. Now, this doggone thing, you can imagine being chased down by a switchblade drone, doesn't have a person in it, and it ain't going to leave you, and it ain't going to quit till it gets you. The switchblade 600, uh, by comparison, weighs about 50 pounds. It flies up to 40 minutes and is knowing, known as a loitering missile. It can fly around and loiter, and that can target armored vehicles. It's um, uh, uh, been first used in uh, Afghanistan against the Taliban. God knows. Let's hope we didn't leave you on the ground. And uh, it is a strategically very effective uh, weapon. It's like, as I say, a mortar on the ground. And uh, it has a ground control system. The operator launches it. Uh, it exits a tube and its wings spring open. Its propeller spins up and it starts flying in the direction the operator wants it to go. And it streams back live video to the operator, viewable on a screen in the middle of a hand-controlled unit. And that is the way they designate the target on the control station screen. I asked my uh, uh, nephew, who is a computer engineer, about the uh, engineering uh, uh, process for this. And he says it's exactly the same engineering we do for video games. So this is all an interesting the game of warfare, which so many young kids play. I suppose if I were a kid, having been a kid who drew the F-86 Sabre uh, by hand, fascinated with the Korean quote-unquote conflict, um, I would have been all over this stuff of uh, video games about war. Uh, the, the, the switchblade drone, uh, is can, the, the target can be designated. Uh, it has a guidance mode, and it, it can be set, sent right in from a remote position to, to hit that uh, object. They are very, they, they are unique and they can hover above the target waiting for the right moment to conduct a precise strike. They're, they have a, they're part of a category of weapons. Uh, a loitering munition is what this category of weapons is called, loitering munition. Um, having gone to military school and done really very well in uh, the courses about war strategy, which I didn't know until my mother showed me the port cards. Uh, I can understand this is how, how, how interesting this is it, it, for those who dispassionately and professionally and objectively design uh, 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 weapons of war. These things are designed to loiter over battlefields. They have a quite broad geographical area they can cover. They search for a particular class of targets. Uh, when they found the target, they launch onto it themselves. They, they have small comparative size and weight. Um, they are uh, really very, very, very effective. And uh, uh, we don't know the number of drones we've sent there like this, but uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it is something we are arming Ukrainians with that could be, I would, as I say, I would not enjoy being, uh, this takes the, 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 the art of sniping to, to a whole nother level. Uh, snipers are tremendously important, of course, and uh, very effective. Uh, and, and yet these drones seem to be uh, kamikaze, uh, pilotless uh, uh, missiles that can be very much more dangerous. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the algorithms that function in these things uh, are more uh, very effective in this type of war. And uh, uh, they are human portable, and that makes them such a 
uh, an interesting uh, uh, element of of uh, we've got going on in this in this in this battle right now that I have to say I wanted to report to you because that was most interesting, and I'm sure uh, that you know given the sophistication of of, of uh, Schwarzenegger, he's he's aware of these things. Let's run the rest of this. It'll be about four or five minutes, and then we'll pull out of it for you. You're also not being told the truth about the consequences of this war on Russia itself. I regret to tell you that thousands of Russian soldiers that have been killed. They have been caught between Ukrainians fighting for their homeland and the Russian leadership fighting for conquest. Massive amounts of Russian equipment have been destroyed or abandoned. The destruction that Russian bombs are raining down upon innocent civilians has so outraged the world that the strongest global economic sanctions ever taken have been imposed on your country. Those who don't deserve it on both sides of the war will suffer. The Russian government has lied not only to the citizens, but to its soldiers. Some of the soldiers were told they were going to fight Nazis. Some were told that the Ukrainian people would greet them like heroes. And some were told that they were simply going on exercise. They didn't even know that they were going into war. And some were told that they were there to protect ethnic Russians in Ukraine. None of this is true. The fact is that Russian soldiers have faced fierce resistance from the Ukrainians who want to protect their families and their country. When they see babies being pulled out of ruins, I think that I'm watching a documentary about the horrors of the Second World War, not the news of the day. Now let me tell you, when my father arrived in Leningrad, he was all pumped up on the lies of his government. And when he left Leningrad, he was broken, physically and mentally. He lived the rest of his life in pain, pain from a broken back, pain from the shrapnel that always reminded him of these terrible years, and pain from the guilt that he felt. To the Russian soldiers listening to this broadcast, you already know much of the truth that I've been speaking. You've seen it with your own eyes. I don't want you to be broken like my father. This is not the war to defend Russia that your grandfathers or your great-grandfathers fought. This is an illegal war. Your lives, your limbs, your futures are being sacrificed for a senseless war condemned by the entire world. Now to those in power in the Kremlin, let me just ask you, why would you sacrifice this young man for your own ambitions? To the soldiers who are listening to this, remember that 11 million Russians have family connections to Ukraine. So every bullet you shoot, you shoot a brother or a sister. Every bomb or every shell that falls is falling not on an enemy, but on a school, or a hospital, or a home. I know that the Russian people are not aware of such things are happening. So I urge the Russian people and the Russian soldiers in Ukraine to understand the propaganda and the disinformation that you are being told. I ask you to help me spread the truth. Let your fellow Russians know the human catastrophe that is happening in Ukraine. And to President Putin I say, 
you started this war. You are leading this war. You can stop this war. Now, let me close with a message to all of the Russians who have been protesting on the streets against the invasion of Ukraine. The world has seen your bravery. We know that you have suffered the consequences of your courage. You have been arrested, you have been jailed, and you have been beaten. You are my new heroes. You have the strength of Yuri Petrovich Vlasov. You have the true heart of Russia. My dear Russian friends, may God bless you all. Well, thank you very much for uh, watching that. I hope it was uh, interesting to you. It obviously is um, um, something that is trying to speak directly to the Russian people. Um, th this is causing some problems for athletes like Mendeleev, who is now the number one player in the world in tennis, but may soon be the number two. Uh, nevertheless, he's been asked by the Tennis Association to publicly renounce uh, Putin and recognize Putin as evil, or they're threatening to ban him from the tennis circuit. Um, this would really be uh, dramatic and very interesting because the uh, pro tennis world is made up of individuals uh, from all over uh, the world, as you can imagine. And uh, recently, for example, just I think in the last 24 hours, the prime leading Russian ballerina of their Russian ballerina company, the Russian ballet company, has defected and quit the ballet company in Russia and said, I can't, I can't be associated with uh, the Russian ballet because of Putin and has uh, gone to the Netherlands is going to dance with the Dutch ballet company. This is just in the last 24 hours or so. So there's a lot of uh, effects of this. Now, meanwhile, there's a story that's never been covered, and that is Hunter Biden's laptop. And now, uh, for the first time, more than uh, uh, now, the New York Times is coming out and admitting uh, that there is uh, uh, all sorts of stuff on the laptop that they've been tapping the story down and denying the story and this, that, one, and another. Uh, Leslie, uh, I've forgotten her last name now, was interviewing Trump about this before the election and poo pooing, ridiculing Trump about Biden's laptop. Let's run that video real quick if we can. Leslie. And you think it's the biggest issue to campaign on? I think it's this. I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Because you want to talk about well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course, it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop, it. Leslie. It Leslie. Can't be verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because even the family hasn't. The family on the laptop. He's gone into hiding for five days. He's gone into hiding. He's preparing for your debate. Oh, it's taken him five days to prepare. I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So let's get back to the name. Well, there you are. That's um, really speaks for itself. Now the New York Times is admitting uh, that uh, the laptop and what is on it, um, the Ukrainian gas company, uh, which Hunter was mysteriously a board member of. Um, you know, it, all this was covered up, denied, um, swept away, if you will, uh, poo-pooed. You saw their Leslie Stahl interview of Trump. And yet in the latest report um, issued just a, a few nights ago, the New York Times says 
it did happen. Um, there is a laptop. It does have all this damaging stuff on it. Uh, but in the presidential race, you have to recall this. The Times never missed a chance. This is according to the New York Post. Never missed a chance to cast doubt on the laptop, uh, saying that the information was purported. Uh, the Democratic officials claimed there was no evidence uh, that it was Russian disinformation. And as recently as September 2021, the New York Times called the laptop unsubstantiated in a news story. Um, but uh, there is no question but what it is legitimate. It is filled with uh, damaging information. It does exist. It was true. And it is authenticated. And now the New York Times is having to come out and admit it. It doesn't say yet why it didn't admit it before. And um uh, there you have it. So we're going to run out of time. We can't cover that much more right now, but we'll be covering it some more in the future. Uh, but it's very blatant that there was a cover up uh, protecting Biden. Well, have a great weekend. Ward Hall Command Center out.